out of the window and shouted up to the coachman. Who is dead? Anyone I should know about? The carriage dipped and swayed as the coachman climbed down from the box. After a few moments, his round, red face appeared at the carriage window on the earl's side. Some old woman of the village, said the coachman. A Mrs. Jones. Bertram Pargeter. Lady Lydia's but recently dismissed lover, riding on her side of the carriage, noticed the sudden flush of relief on Lady Lydia's face, saw the way her eyes began to sparkle, saw the fear of the last few days begin to leave her face. A quick movement to his left distracted him. He looked sideways. On a level with his face was a gypsy-looking girl, climbing up onto the churchyard wall. Her mass of chestnut hair was wild and tangled, and her large violet eyes, fringed with heavy lashes, looked out of a nut-brown face. Something made him remove his hat and give her a slight bow. Her work-worn hands clutched the stones at the top of the wall tightly, and she looked down and passed him to where Lady Lydia sat in the carriage. Lady Lydia glanced up and saw the girl. She quickly raised her fan to shield her face and said something. The carriage moved on. Bertram touched his horse's flanks with his red-heeled boots and cantered along beside it again. After they had gone a little way away, he slowed his mount and twisted in the saddle and looked back. The girl was still there a solitary figure, her cloak whipping about her on the rising wind. He turned back and looked again into the carriage. Lady Lydia was sitting very still, her long, jeweled fingers clasped and unclasped the sticks of her fan. Fear was back in her face. Bertram, all his senses sharpened by jealousy and hurt, turned over that strange little scene in his mind. He scented a mystery, and that mystery might give him the means to torture his cruel mistress as much as she had tortured him. After the funeral, Polly returned sadly to the little cottage in which she had passed sixteen years of her life with old Meg Jones. There were no funeral baked meats, no sympathizers. Without looking at her, the villagers had filed out of the churchyard and had gone their separate ways. The cottage had very little left in it, Polly having sold the furniture and the pots and pans to pay for Meg's funeral. She had just slung the one remaining pot over the fire to make some fennel tea, and was easing her feet out of her shoes. She had been wearing shoes for almost the first time in her life, knowing it would be regarded as disrespectful had she turned up at the graveside in bare feet, when there came a great pounding at the door. Sure that it must be some villager calling to give comfort, for people could not really be so unfeeling, Polly went to answer it. Two small squat men stood on the doorstep. She recognised the squire's bailiff, and her face hardened. "'You've got a week to get out,' said one, picking his teeth with a straw. 
Tennesseeola's cottage belonged to Megal Life, and seeing as you is in no kin to her. Polly slammed the door in their faces. We'll be back in a week, she heard them call. You've only got a week. Tears, thought Polly, could wait. She must plan what to do. She must find work. Why had Meg never sent her out to work in a field like the other village girls? That was what had caused the village people to dislike her. She had been allowed to run wild and do as she pleased. Why had poor Meg paid for her education at the parish school? Of what good was book learning to the penniless? Polly remembered one of the servants from Mearsley Manor when the Earl was in residence, bragging in the village that London servants could live like kings.